Hello, and welcome to another engaging episode of Cyber Speaks Live, the InfoSec podcast recorded in front of a live online audience, giving you, the community, a voice that can be heard around the world. And now it's time for your host, Duncan McAllen. Hello, everyone. I'm Duncan Macklin. I'm also InfoSec War on Twitter, and this is Cyber Speaks Live, the podcast series that gives you, the InfoSec community, a voice that can be heard around the world. We accomplish this by recording this podcast series in front of an online audience made up of members just like those that are here with us today to talk about the Tribe of Hackers Blue Team Edition. The book has finally dropped. You can pick it up in Amazon or whatever retailer you choose. But joining me today is several of the authors from the Blue Team Edition. I do have to let everyone know, unfortunately, Marcus J. Carey is going to be joining us late today. Unfortunately, there's just been uh, something that's come up. He let me know about that earlier today, so we look forward to having Marcus join us later. But joining us from the book series is Jen Jin, Jennifer Jin. Say hi. Hi, everyone. Nice to see you. Awesome. Along with her is Maggie. Maggie, let me get this last name right. More. Morganti, Morganti. Yep, it's just a little Italian, Morganti, yeah. <laughs> okay, and also Robert Willis, say hi, Rob. Pronounced it perfectly. Excellent, yeah. yep, it, that one's kind of easy, isn't it? Okay, so here we are now in the, uh, let's see, fourth release in the Tribe of Hackers series. Jen, Jen, if you don't mind, let's talk about the origins and mission of this book series. How did this whole thing really come about from the beginning? And what brought us to where we are today? What, what is the mission that you and Marcus had in mind when this book series started? Yes, so... This is kind of a interesting origin story, I would say. I think Robert, if you can remember when I first joined Threat Care, uh, was I think 2018, spring of 2018. So I joined originally as, uh, I believe, an operations specialist at Threat Care, which was Marcus's uh, startup company at that time. And on the first week, it was my first week on the job, and he took me out to our little backyard, our house, the office was a house, so we had a backyard. He took me out there and he said, I want to publish a book. (laughs) And I am my first week at work, and I just want to make the boss happy, and I'm like, yeah, we're going to publish a book, like, I'll do whatever (laughs) you want to do. Um, in my head, I was like, I don't know how, how I'm going to publish a book, but I think I can Google it and, and find some answers. And so he basically tells me his vision at that time. And he says, all of the security books that he knows of right now are very technical. Um, they cover very specific subjects and they don't really go into 
um, basically what it's like to be in the industry kind of as a person, as a human. Um, and he felt that he wanted to highlight all of the people that he knew in his network because they were doing awesome things, right, in the cybersecurity mm -hmm. industry. Um, and he wanted to make them seem more human. And he wanted to make them seem like, oh, even if we, uh, you know, revere them as like cybersecurity heroes or cybersecurity, like celebrities, whatnot, we kind of wanted to see, you know, that's why in the first book, there's a question, what is the uh, biggest mistake you've ever made, right? Like a very humanizing right. type of question. Um, so all of this stuff was really, really interesting to me. And he, you know, basically we just sat down and he just uh, listed out the first 14 questions from the first book. And he said, these are the questions that I hear the most when I go to conferences, when I meet up with people. And so, um, you know, for, for me, what was important was, you know, showing that uh, being in cybersecurity, you don't have to look uh, a certain look, you don't have to be a certain gender, you don't have to be a certain race. Uh, anyone can be in cybersecurity if, because the word cybersecurity or infosec, it does sound sort of intimidating from someone who's not in the industry. Right. And so we kind of wanted to break down those barriers and market it to an audience who is just thinking about doing cybersecurity or something similar or someone who has already started but doesn't really know where to pivot to since there's so many um, specialties that you can go in. And so from there, we just kind of started bouncing out, bouncing off all these ideas. We wanted to make sure there was women. That's why we had their headshots featured. Um, so someone could read the book, pick it up and say, oh, that person looks like me and she's doing all this cool stuff or, you know, you know, so inspiring people in that way. So that was basically kind of like the original mission of the, of the book. It's really nice to get that, I guess, deep tissue background on the, really how it all came to fruition, you know, from the backyard. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've had Matt Marcus on, this is going to be when he gets here, his third appearance on the show, because of course, my backstory with the book and with Marcus, you know, when I set forth to start a cybersecurity focused podcast series a year and a half ago, the very first episode was on May 1st of 2019. Now, what happened on May 2nd in Austin, I'm sure will ring a bell to you, right? Yes, the summit. Absolutely. The Tribe of Hackers mm -hmm. Summit, where a lot of the uh, original book authors came together and presented in a full day at the uh, Capital Factory. Is yeah, that right? Capital Factory. Mm -hmm. Right. Capital Factory there in Austin, Texas. So, uh, you know, my wife and I, we were still in Houston at the time. So we decided to, you know, book it over. You know, let's do this thing. And it was a fabulous, fabulous experience. Uh, if you're not familiar or if you want to catch some of the talks that took place during that event, those video or that one video, I think it's like mm -hmm. six and a half hours long. It's on YouTube. And I think if I'm not mistaken, Jen, Jen do we have timestamps for each of the speakers on that YouTube show? Yes, notes? it should be in the description or at the bottom of tribeofhackers.com as well. 
there you go. That's actually where I did see it. Absolutely. Uh, so if you go to tribeofhackers.com, you can watch the video from there. It's timestamp for each of the presenters. Fabulous experience. And it's also where I got what is now my absolute favorite t-shirt. The one that says, you know, it's all black, white lettering going down the front. This is what a hacker looks like. What was your mindset putting together that design for that t-shirt, which is now, like I said, my favorite? That is definitely a really popular t-shirt. I do have a lot of requests still to see if we could sell it. Um, but I think at that time we were thinking of different t-shirts and we wanted to be unique. Um, if anyone here knows threat care we're kind of known for our awesome t-shirt designs i'm sure robert has some mm -hmm. in his closet too um but basically i remember seeing an ad uh like a new york subway ad somewhere and it was like this is what an engineer looks like something like that and it was like a female engineer and obviously the purpose was to say what an engineer looks like in your head isn't necessarily what engineers look like in the real world. And I know, you know, we were trying to kind of dissolve that reputation that hackers were like wearing hoodies in the basement, right. like, you know, kind of like the evil hacker, you know, persona. So I was like, why don't we just say anyone who wears this shirt is like, this is what a hacker looks like. It can be it can be a woman, it can be a male, it can be non-binary, young, old. Um, and so I feel like that kind of shirt is like super empowering for the people who do wear it and they can proudly walk around and say, I'm a hacker and it doesn't mean, you know, I'm bad. It doesn't mean I look like I'm dangerous. You know, I'm here to secure all the things, you know? So that was kind of, you know, when I thought of that, it was kind of like a light bulb. I was like, oh, we have to make this shirt. Um, and that's kind of how it happened. Absolutely. And I fully agree and support everything that you just said, because hacking is not a crime, folks. You know, what we do as hackers, it, the term is misrepresented in media, in film, in television, right? And the term hacking, in my mindset, and those of my peers is we like to break shit and we like to figure out how it works and we like to re-engineer it and put it back together and say, this is where your vulnerabilities exist, or this is how I made this awesome, cool thing, right? The hacking that we hear about in the media and see in TV and on television or in movies, that's what is really malicious actors, right? Cyber criminals. And we need to start labeling this stuff more appropriately and communicating that every time we see a journalist out there that misuses the term hacker, we need to call them out on it, you know, educate them about the difference between the hacker community, which is actually out there blue teaming and red teaming to help protect and defend America's corporations, government agencies, educational systems, nonprofits. You know, that's the mission that we have. And when they use that term incorrectly, it erodes what we're doing and the efforts that we put forward. So with that, let me kind of digress into a different area. So we're talking about the book series. Now we have four different volumes in the Tribe of Hackers series right now. 
Jenjen, tell our audience what they are. So, of course, the first Tribe of Hackers original, it's uh, the yellow cover. Um, that one doesn't actually really have a theme, but the questions are a little different and where they kind of ask uh, the contributors more personal questions, getting to know them and getting to know the specific specialty that they work in. Um, the second one we released is Tribe of Hackers Red Team. So right. that is specifically interviewing uh, people who have experienced red teaming um, in their cybersecurity career. The third one, um, Tribe of Hackers Security Leaders. So that is people who have experience uh, leading teams uh, at their companies or creating their own companies for that matter. And we kind of dive into what makes a successful security team. And then the fourth one that just came out is the Tribe of Hackers Blue Team. Um, this one was much anticipated, um, obviously interviewing a lot of really awesome blue teamers, including the people here today. And so, yeah, those are the four. Okay, so thank you for that. What I'm going to do right now, for those that are joining us live in the room, I'm fixing to launch a poll that's going to ask which versions of the book do you currently own? Do you have the original version that was self-published? And do you have the Wiley version of the original, the red team, the security leaders, the blue team? Just kind of want to get a sense of, you know, what people have already in their library. Now, keep in mind, this is an anonymous poll, so I'm not going to see any of your answers, not trying to get any info or sell you anything. We just want to know you know, how popular really is this series? And I am seeing just a great mix right now. Uh, I, literally, I'm smiling ear to ear because this couldn't be any closer to everybody having a little bit of everything. So these are kind of becoming collector's items. And I see that quite a bit with some tech books. Um, you know, I'm a big collector of some of the early versions of books that show basically or, or talk about the technologies that I grew up with in this industry. So I think we're starting to see the same thing with the tribe of hackers. People are really interested in this series. They are getting so much benefit from it. So um, we did talk about the red team edition, which is still when I had Marcus J. Carey and some of the contributing authors to um, that Red Team edition, that is still one of the most popular episodes of Cyber Speaks Live ever. It's in the top five. And every week I still watch that number just continue to grow and grow and grow. People love this concept of um, the books, but before we go any further, you did talk about the Red Team Edition, you talked about the Blue Team Edition, but let me get to our other guest here real quick. And Rob, let me just, Robert, excuse me, let me ask you real quick. In just a couple sentences, could you describe for our audience, well, first, let me have you introduce yourself. Let's, let's go there. Hey, I'm, I'm Robert Willis. Uh, you can follow me at regex or rej underscore ex on Twitter. Um, and um, thanks for having me and thanks for doing this. It's awesome. Absolutely. Now, a little bit of your background, right? So you're actually uh, pretty well 
established here in Texas. We're fellow Texans, right? Yes. So I guess my background is um, I have worn many hats. Um, Everything from red team to blue team to everything uh, around that. Um, (laughs) Basically, uh, do a little bit of everything. Okay. So let me ask you first, um, how would you define red teaming? I, I usually when I, so a lot of people I speak to don't really have any experience in cybersecurity and they, they, they're interested in getting into it. And mm-hmm. I, at the most basic level, tell them that, you know, red teams are the offensive uh, people and blue teams are the defenders. And that seems to be the easiest way to just put it in real simple terms. But um, red teams work with blue teams uh, to basically try to make security uh, better, bottom line. Yeah, that's a a very, like you said, kind of a simple version of it that red teams are the pen testers. They're the offensive security that's really trying to help these organizations understand where their vulnerability points exist within the organization. And the blue teamers are the ones that are defending against these types of malicious attacks from uh, non-trusted sources. Let's just put it that way. The cyber criminals that are out there attacking these organizations. But, you know, most of the time when I see stuff on Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever with folks that are wanting to get into InfoSec, and this is one of the, the primary questions that was asked several times by the registrants of today's talk. They want to know how to get into cybersecurity or how to make a pivot from another IT role. And we will get to that question. But, you know, most commonly what we see is folks wanting to become red teamers. They want to be pen testers. You know, let's face it, blue teaming isn't sexy, right? So with that, I want to turn the focus to Maggie. Maggie, I'm going to say it. Blue teaming's not sexy. What's your response to that? Well, so I'm I'm going to jump off of uh, Rob's comment a little bit here. And I love that this is a virtual uh, podcast because people can't throw things at me like they could if I was on stage. Um, (laughs) I actually am going to say something a little bit, uh, a little bit controversial here. Um, in response to how Rob defined red teaming, um, you're not offense. Unless you are a cyber criminal or have a title authority, you're not offense. You are blue teams opt for. Um, I grew up in a big military family, and I, I honestly uh, think of red teaming kind of in that lens that, you know, you are red, traditional red teamers. So our traditional pen testers are essentially blue teamers playing opposing force, um, you know, kind of in their little role, you know, not little role, they play a pretty large role, um, to help our defenders be better. So I, I think that it's part of why it kind of gets labeled as sexy because, you know, we, when we talk about, you know, pen testing and red teaming, we use terms like your offense, your 
breaking shit and you're you're not i mean especially uh you know in the realm that i work in in ics security if you break something <laughs> during a pen test on a shop floor um you're in pretty big trouble like you're, you're not on that engagement anymore oh absolutely uh, it's part of why i like my job at the national lab um, as a researcher because we actually do get to break shit um but it's in a test so no one cares and uh i think that blue teaming gets a bad rap um you know primarily because it's it's misunderstood what it is. Um, people, you know, to your point, you know, we, we kind of glorify hacking as being, you know, only in the realm of red team, and it's not. Um, and I also think it's kind of funny, you know, if we look at our, you know, kind of, uh, you know, like cult classic movies, you know, hackers, sneakers, um, you know, Mr. Robot, any of the other ones out there, uh, the blue team tends to lose a lot. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> I, I think it makes it hard to, you know, show people that that's the career path that, you know, is actually pretty sexy. And you, you actually, unlike red teaming, um, in most cases, at least you do in that role, actually get to team up against what is real world offense. You know, you actually get to go toe to toe with cyber criminals, you know, with, uh, you know, kind of nuisance, uh, uh, nuisance hackers, essentially, um, and, you know, in some cases, even nation states, depending on where you work. Um, and I, I think that sometimes people look at some of the very novel stories, you know, like John Strand uh, doing a physical pen test on a uh, prison with his mom. And, you know, it's a very, like, you know, kind of fun, cool, you know, breaking into things story. And I think people conflate that with what a traditional pen test looks like, and it's generally not. Um, so I, I think that that's kind of where some of the, the misunderstanding comes into play. Um, and as far as uh, an industry, I think that we, we would benefit from making an effort to educate people, um, especially coming in the door on why blue teaming is actually a lot of fun. And it's, you know, very rewarding. I think it's, um, you know, people understand breaking things. People understand, you know, that, that dopamine, how you get when you pick a lock and it opens, you know, it's that like aha moment and it's yep. great. Yep. Uh, and I, I think as an industry, we don't do a great job of explaining those moments on the blue team side to non-technical people. Um, I think we, you know, want to start talking about tools and, you know, to a non-technical person, uh, you know, for example, you know, I'm, I'm a girl, I went to uh, Intel school for grad school and, you know, I'd open like a Linux terminal and I would have, you know, the girl behind me going like, I don't know what that is. Like, you know, that looks scary. It's command line. Um, so I, I think doing a good job of, you know, kind of making things accessible to people in a way that <sighs> helps them understand that blue teaming um, has a lot of those moments. And I would actually argue that it has a lot more of those moments. Um, than red teaming actually does. You know, I, you getting to stop an adversary in whatever capacity your adversary is, um, is a lot more frequent of an occurrence for a good blue team than, you know, the, the bulk of red teaming and pen testing seeing a lot of times reporting um, and, you know, kind of finding a vulnerability and going like, okay, check, like there it is. Um, right. And not really getting to do that exploitation that I think people misunderstand and think they're going to be able to do. Right. So, 
you brought up some really interesting points there and i want to get to one of those and that's you know what is the inroad for folks that are interested in the field of cybersecurity, infosec whatever you want to call it and you had a pretty unique approach and one that i think especially if it's paid a lot of people could benefit from and that's that you were a graduate intern at FireEye. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, so I will plug FireEye all day long. Um, they have one of the best intern programs I've ever seen. Um, it was paid, it was fantastic. Um, so I, uh, I was initially, my undergrad was in Middle Eastern studies, which you can tell because I sent to Babylon. There's Al's dad joke. Um, no comment. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, but it's uh, great. I will wrangle I, you in. I know. I, I love virtual stuff because I can tell myself that the audience is laughing at my jokes in my head. Um, and whether they are or not is irrelevant. Um, but no, so I, I went uh, for Middle Eastern Studies in Arabic as my undergrad. I was convinced that I wanted to, you know, go work a desk at, you know, CIA, FBI, be an intelligence analyst. And uh, oh. then had a... I know I had a very sweet family friend, um, you know, that worked for Northrop Grumman right around the time that, uh, you know, kind of the reporting on Stuxnet was coming out, um, basically approached me and said, you know, Max, that's really cool that you want to do Middle East stuff, but if you want to be a useful human being in this space, like learn cyber, um, which I thought was kind of very funny advice at the time, but I took it. And uh, this is actually a really ironic podcast for me to be on because I very blindly, uh, started with a CEH course um, because I, I fell for that whole like, oh, like cyber, I'm going to learn my breaking okay. things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I went to grad school uh, for Intel studies, which was a lot of fun. And uh, I, I kind of got into where I'm at now because one of the first, uh, you know, kind of VM boxes that they have breaking when you're, you know, kind of start to be learning things is things like Windows 7, Windows XP. And, you know, I, I like to joke that I was raised by a clan of feral ICS engineers. And, uh, you know, I started looking at those boxes and going, uh, these are the operating systems that, like, the grid runs on and, like, manufacturing plants and oil and gas. Um, like, I, I recognize these from these environments. Uh, so I, I really kind of, that became my passion project. And I... Uh, I bothered FireEye for about six months to give me an internship. Uh, Assistance pays off. This is the this is the most important advice I can give anyone watching this that wants to get into cybersecurity is after you submit your resume, do OSINT and find a recruiter on LinkedIn and like message that recruiter and be like, hey, I just applied to this. Like these this is my credentials, this is why I want to get into this. Um because if they can pull a resume from a stack because you've already differentiated yourself from, you know, the other however many names sitting in their inbox, um, that's really going to pay dividends for you. And so, yeah, I bothered uh, Alex Lawrence, one of their, I think he's over at Zoos now, one of their recruiters um, for about six months until they find Or he loves you putting him on blast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, he's a great guy. Um, No docs in there. (laughs) No. Uh, But, yeah, so... um, Got in there and on their threat intel team doing cyber physical stuff. Uh, Love doing threat intel, but really wanted to get a little bit more hands on. So 
uh, had some contacts at Oak Ridge National Lab that I, you know, kind of reached out to and said, you know, hey, I, I really think that I want to do this kind of work, actually, you know, do you have a spot on your team? And they said, yeah, sure, like, set up an interview, come on down. Um, and I've been there for about two years now. Excellent. Thank you for summarizing that. So let me pivot now to Rob, Robert. I don't know why I keep calling you Rob when you told me earlier. You get my name right. <laughs> so what would be your suggestion for someone, let's say they're already in IT, but maybe they're in an analyst role or a help desk role or some other capacity in IT ops. How would you or what would you recommend to them to be able to pivot into InfoSec in a career in cybersecurity? I, I find that a lot of people, some good advice is basically going after their security plus uh, from CompTIA. Um, really gets the foundational stuff down. Uh, a lot of people Agreed. try to skip the foundational stuff and just try to specialize and it kind of bites them in the behind. Yep. Uh, the, a lot of people's first point of entry into the field is in a SOC position. Um, a lot of SOCs are constantly hiring. Um, so, uh, And that's not the stuff you put on your feet, folks. For those who are very <laughs> yeah. new, you know, SOC so, is a security operations center, you know, yeah. where you're going to be getting a lot of alert activity and monitoring and those kinds of things. It, it's kind of a tough role, honestly. Yeah. And, and to what Maggie said before, too, about blue teams, like always being shown as a losers and stuff a lot of the time. Blue teaming is, there's a lot of really awesome stuff. And I think the more that people realize it, um, the more sexy blue teaming will become. And I, I don't think it does help that, um, you know, they're seen as like on the losing end a lot of the time. And they were outsmarted, you know. It's, that's, that's annoying, in my opinion. Yeah. And the problem that I see in blue teaming is when you're doing well, nobody hears about it, right? Because it's kind of like back in the days when we had exchange admins, right? Mail server admins on site, you know, on-prem. When the mail servers are working, nobody cares about the exchange admin. Nobody. But when that shit breaks, let me tell you, every single person in that company cares. It's kind of the same way with blue teaming. When we do our jobs well, it goes unnoticed. It goes unrewarded. It goes unrecognized. But when we are facing a cybersecurity incident, you can bet your last damn dollar that every I in that company all the way up to the CEO is looking at you. They want to know where are we at? How are we handling this? What's the next move? What do we say to our customers? What do we say to our partners? What do we say to the board? What do we stay, say to, you know, stockholders, you know, it's all eyes are on the blue team, you know, so we get one chance to get it right when we're in that cybersecurity incident. And that's what I kind of said in, in my portion of the book, you know, but. And 
also a lot of people that are have been into IT for a while and want to get into cybersecurity. Um, I think they don't realize how much they already know as well. And I, I see a lot of people really hesitant to kind of uh, change over. And um, you know, the more knowledge you have on networking and just computers in general, I mean, all of those would help you. So. So let me ask both of you. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask both of you this one question. So we talked about the fundamentals and, you know, sec plus from CompTIA. And I agree with you there, Robert. I really do. I'm sec plus certified as well. And it's going to ensure that you know the basics. But if there were one skill that you thought a blue teamer, and I'm not talking the soft skill stuff. I mean, practicality, living in the role, one skill that they need to bring to the table to be successful in their first role in cybersecurity. Maggie, what do you think that would be? Or should be? So, I, my first my first answer would naturally be one of soft skills. Um, if you're new, the ability to learn is going to be like the most important thing you get down. Um, but as far as as far as like true technical skills, I think just a base understanding of how the systems in that environment work um, goes a long, long, long way. So understanding, you know, just kind of and I, I don't mean to get myself in trouble for this, um, but like just understanding like some basic um, networking, understanding basic computer science, understanding, um, you know, kind of the stuff found in the SEC plus, uh, you know, kind of to echo what Rob said, you know, the having a foundational understanding of kind of how these systems um, communicate and talk to each other and operate, you know, internally on the endpoint, I think is, you know, it, it's crucial. Like you, you can't do it without it. Absolutely. And I, mean, I think you can try, but <laughs> right. I think you refer to it as the knowing the digital terrain. I loved that particular phrase. I've never seen that phrase used before in my life. And I loved it. When I caught that, I was like, Yeah. And the fact that you said you come from a military family. Yeah. <laughs> makes perfect sense to me now but you also educated me on something in the book that was profound um prior law enforcement that's what my first career was in my early 20s as soon as i turned 21 right i did it for a couple of years and decided that's not the lifestyle i want for me i didn't like who i was becoming and very too many good officers but um I was familiar with the terms red team and blue team from law enforcement and kind of thought because we were, you know, the thin blue line, you know, before that was even a thing, but blue was associated with law enforcement. So I always kind of thought that it was something along those lines, but you opened my eyes that this is actually going back to common military terms and the red team and blue team use within the military and speaking of military 
Marcus J. Carey has joined us, ladies and gentlemen. Marcus, want to say hi to everyone? Hello, everyone. Can you hear me loud and clear? Absolutely. As always, thank you once again for joining us. Uh, I'm sorry things kind of got mixed up for you there with, you know, work, home, life, and all that stuff, but so glad to have you back. Um, you know, this is now the trifecta, brother. <laughs> this is your third time on the show. So pleased to have you joining us. Um, you know, Marcus, like I said, was my very first guest for Cyberspeaks Live May 1 of last year. We're still here kicking, brother. So glad to have you back with us. It's a pleasure to be back. Thanks for joining all my awesome friends here. Right. I feel like, uh, you remember Super Twins? I wish we had like a <laughs> Trevor Hacker's ring that we could touch or something. <laughs> there you go. There. There it is. All right. So, um, yeah, um, Maggie, real quick, and I'm going to wrangle you in here real quick. Just give the audience the military definition of red team versus blue team. I, I think that's going to be really useful to us. Yeah, so um, I don't have like the official Army trade doc stuff in front of me. Um, Marcus may actually be able to speak to this a little bit better than I can. Um, but, you know, red team is typically your op for that's, you know, the guys out there, you know, playing opposing forces so that blue team, the guys that are, you know, the ones that are actually going to be doing the exercise uh, can practice more or less. Okay, Marcus, you got anything to add to that? Yeah, the funny thing about that is that I think that there's so much military integration in the language, DOD, many of the terms are, are come from the, the DOD. So definitely red team, blue team, there's all kind of different colored teams in the, in the dang military, by the way. There's green teams, all kind of different teams. So the uh, blue team is definitely the thing that's stuck uh, in, in our space. So, mm -hmm. and, you know, red team, of course, people most – and that's the one that a lot of people want to do. And uh, purple team is still kind of like a hot term that everybody talks about, the, the mixture of the okay. two. Okay, you uh, brought it up. You so, brought it up. I, I got to ask the question. You know where I'm going with this. There's not going to be a purple team book. <laughs> Man. So, uh, so my my you, heart you know, just Purple team, you, you take the red and, red and blue <laughs> and combine them. Kind of like the Ziplocs back in the day. <laughs> All right. Okay. I, I'm, I have to admit, man, I am disappointed to hear that. I was really hoping to add another book to the collection. But um, are, are there any other plans? You know, we talked earlier about the Tribe of Packers Summit. And, of course, with this year and everything that's going on with coronavirus and the state of things, uh do you have any plans to resurface the summit experience either physically or virtually in the near or outcast future? Yeah. So definitely going to be tr trying to pull it together. Uh, but the only thing is I think that people have virtual conference fatigue, to be honest with you. Uh, there's a, I mean, plus people are doing, you know, WebExes and go to meet and whatever to, you know, zoom, People are on, on these things all the time. So I'm kind of concerned a little bit with the, with the virtual thing. Um, so, but there definitely will be uh, some, some continued summits. Uh, we're definitely gonna have some, some live summits over time. Um, 
as you know, that I'm, I'm a ReliQuest now, and uh, from a from a corporate perspective, ReliQuest is will be uh, help uh, you know put on some some events. So prepare the we're going to be doing some crazy crazy events. The whole the whole thing that that, that my mission, of course, is to get more people you know into the game and and right. and learn more about cybersecurity and learn all that stuff. So so yeah, I mean. We want to help out people uh, in the best way, but there's there's like tons of different. There's a conference every week now, probably. So um, it feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah. So it's just like how do how. Do, but I can tell you one thing though: when when uh, when when this COVID thing's over, we're gonna do it ridiculous because uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because like I think the the first and and you were you were there. Uh, the, yep. Robert was there, and Jen Jen was there. Maggie, you gotta come. the The first one was absolutely the most amazing. It was one of the most amazing conference experience I have. You just felt the camaraderie and the, the energy, inclusiveness, it, and it was it was like a it was like a family reunion. Like, and, right. and I mean that not in a crazy boozy family reunion. <laughs> I mean in the you you just could feel the love and you could feel everybody supporting each other, yep. rooting for each other. And uh, that's the, been the whole legacy of all everything tribal hacker related is that camaraderie. And because the people that are in the book, you know, you know, a majority of them, I would say 90 something, over 90 some percent, a high 90 percent are out there helping, mentoring and, and all that stuff. And so um, it's been crazy to put, put all that stuff together and me, me and Jen talk about this all the time. There's people in the book that don't like each other. There's like, there was all kind of drama behind the scenes where, you know, some people didn't want the other per this other person to be in the book, and and we had all kind of stuff pop off, um, you know, and we have people in the book, uh, and if you if you follow them and I know them from all different uh, ideological backgrounds, so right. we have people that are staunch conservatives, and we have people that are super liberal. And so just to see that spectrum of diversity and inclusion, uh, I mean, we were, <laughs> this is the most inclusive project ever. <laughs> you, you had people <laughs> from all, all different gambits. Like I said, people hating each other, people, uh, it's crazy. So we got people from that, that whole broad spectrum and we got everybody in, in one place. So, um, and Jin Jin knows, me and Jin Jin know <laughs> some of the, the drama behind the scenes. But, I can uh, only imagine, and but, uh, we you know, it, I got it all into we got it all into four books. Absolutely, and I just have to say once again, it was such an honor and blessing to be part of the Blue Team Edition. So, thank you both for allowing me to be part of something that is so special. You know, the Tribe of Hackers book series—it's not just a book series, folks—and the Tribe of Hackers Summit is not just a summit. This is a movement. It's an inspiration to so many people. And uh, I'm starting to get that lump in my throat, y'all. But, uh, you know, the impact that these books are going to have on the lives of the people that are picking it up and reading them one by one, you know, it, it's, it's awe-inspiring to think that that black and white text the impact it could have on the next generation coming into this field. And, 
you two are owed so much thanks for putting this together and making it a reality for folks out there. Well, I mean, shout out to people like Maggie that, that made, made it all, all possible. And then uh, Robert, you, uh, shout out to all the contributors. Uh, we we owe, owe y'all a ton. Uh, what's, what I just keep on harp, what, what we wanted to do as well is we wanted to make this evergreen. Um, so that's why I didn't, I didn't want people talking about tools and, and all this and all right. that because that stuff goes away, you know. Absolutely and changes so quickly. And so what I, what what the the outcome was evergreen information about how we how we do this. And so I could imagine, um, and I know that some colleges are already using this and in, in as a text as a resource. Um, so. In the future, people are going to be able to like, you know, look back and be like, "Oh, snap! This this is um, yep. this is a great this is a great resource for all this stuff." And and I know, for instance, like there wasn't a place that I could point somebody to, to get to kind of get in. And I believe that these resources are, are a great resource to understand the mind frame. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Now I haven't actually gone through and counted all the questions in the original doc that was sent over. But in the original book, we had 14 questions that were in the final version and Jenjing kind of reiterated that earlier. And it looks like it's the same in the blue team edition. Is, is that correct, Jenjin? 14 questions? Uh, I think 14 or 15 is about it, yeah. Okay. So, I want to go ahead for those listeners that maybe they haven't picked up a copy or they're not really familiar with what we're talking about here. We haven't talked about the actual inside of the book, right? So what was done, everybody, is that Marcus and Jen Jen submitted these questions to the contributing authors and each one responded in their own unique way from their diverse backgrounds and experience and exposure to those same 14 questions. So what you're looking at is all these individual responses and all the years and of experience and wisdom that they're able to share with the readers. And it gives such a tremendous insight into all these various perspectives that you're able to build from. So I want to get into some of the questions with our guest. And let me just ask the first one, because I'm scrolling through looking at it now, and some of these we've already addressed. But let's say, Maggie, if you don't mind, what are some of the key strengths of an incident response program? So I think uh, clarity and adaptability um, are kind of the two most important things there. Your, your team has to understand what it is. It can't be so bogged down that, you know, no one is going to be able to implement a 140 page incident response plan that, you know, self-contradicts itself halfway through. Um, and I think also ability to adapt it on the fly because any incident response plan that you write um, can't be, uh, like, it, it can't tie your, your people down to not being able to you know, adapt it or change things, um, you know, kind of within certain bounds uh, as, the, as the incident would need it to. 
Okay. Robert, do you have anything to add? You're on mute, bud. Okay, it looks like Robert is having some audio issues at the moment. It looks like your it looks like Zoom mute button is on. Uh yeah. So one of the things I'm learning as far as incident response goes is it, it doesn't matter how smart your people are at incident response, and I'm I'm seeing this a lot lately, is the and and I always like the what's happening now and what's happening, you know, in this book is kind of like there's a lot of evergreen stuff in here. Uh, I see Rob's off there, but I think law, uh, people having their login turned on and having login sources is the biggest detriment right now. Because <laughs> I, I keep on bumping into people that don't have any logs uh, right now, and so you know, yeah, we can tell you how to do incident response well, but if you you can't make the cake without the ingredients, you know. So right. turn that dang logging on, people. You know, that's actually interesting that you bring that one up because uh, the last little question I had here that was submitted as part of the registrations, I gave it out to everyone. Hey, if you want to ask something of our guest, go ahead, put it here. Let me know if you want to remain anonymous or not. Um, David, I'm just going to say his first name brought that up as his question and I'll let you and maybe Robert can jump in now that he's got his mic sorted. What do you think are the best sources for endpoint data collection, either monitoring or login? I know for myself, coming from a blue team and background, obviously the Windows event log plain and simple, and being able to have some type of log aggregator on the back end to be able to collect very specific event IDs that are occurring in your environment. And right now, if you're not able to patch for zero log on, that's one of the ways that you can detect that type of malicious activity being uh, conducted in your environment is collecting those specific uh, event IDs that are associated with that. And if you just do a search for zero logon plus windows plus event ids you'll find several references out there most of them written by microsoft security engineers so uh marcus robert anything to add well certainly uh so my buddy uh michael goff and you you probably know michael Goff. he's a texas guy uh he he has this site called malware archaeology yeah, yeah. He has this thing called uh, Windows Forensics Cheat Sheet, I believe is the name of it. Yep. So that's the that is the best resource. That Man, I forgot know. all about that site. Thank yeah. you for bringing that up. And I tell you what, that dude, Michael Goff, <laughs> I met a lot of people on Incident Response. That dude is stupid smart when it comes to Incident Response. I mean, he's worked at gaming companies, medical companies, like he... You know, as you, that dude is, that dude is crazy. That's my dude. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, for Windows have respect login, for folks like that. That's the place you got to check out that thing. If you haven't ever checked it out before. Cool. So let's get to one of the other questions here and I'll start off with Maggie. Where should an organization use cryptography? 
So I feel personally attacked because I'm an ICS and a lot of times we can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, That's so why I, mean, I went I, to you. Yeah, I know. I know it is. No, I mean, I think so uh, specifically for our environment, like the first answer for that is wherever it doesn't interfere with your latency requirements for the operational side of the house. Um, you know, a lot of times in like OT uh, operational technology environments, um, things can have crypto enabled and be fine. Um, and in other use cases, depending on like what your, uh, you know, your PLC is uh, doing with a level one device, you just for cryptography, like what is sensitive and what's not. Um, so, you know, sometimes in an operational environment, you know, we, we get really, you know, kind of wrapped around the axle about, you know, Modbus is clear text. Well, like, of course, yeah. Modbus is clear text. <laughs> um, if, they're, if they're in your environment and able to, you know, kind of be at that level zero, level one, level two layers, um, you're, you're kind of already screwed. Um, and, you know, yeah. having, having crypto on those specific things is not going to save you at that point. Um, so I, I think, you know, having cryptography on, you know, kind of your crown jewels that are, you know, talking back and forth, that's traffic that, you know, it would, if you were, you know, if you were actually, you know, a, an attacker or, or a threat actor, you know, would, would that traffic be super beneficial for you to be able to swipe into your text? Um, and being able to kind of look at your, um, you know, kind of to use your, your favorite term there, like your, your digital terrain and say, you know, what communications going over my wire would be, you know, the most beneficial for an adversary to be able to swipe without any kind of crypto on top of it um, and just start there. Yep. Yeah. Now, Robert, a question for you coming right from the book is, and the reason I'm asking this is because you and I had mirrored responses in the opening sentence to this question. So I want to ask you, what is your opinion on compliance? Um, comp being compliant doesn't make you secure. Is right. Basically the big one. Compliance doesn't equal security folks. Yeah. So can you elaborate um, I, on that? I, I, so I have, I actually like a lot of this regulatory stuff and it's just because so many people um, have kind of been negligent, um, not really having like a security program put together and just being really reactive. And this is really making people be more proactive um, mm -hmm. with their security, um, you know, whether it be it might even be reactive still just because a lot of the time it's because they want to work with a bigger company and get a deal through and they need a certain level of security. But um, when people think that they're compliant and that makes them secure, uh, definitely not accurate. I could not agree with you more. Um, and unfortunately a lot of organizations get so tunnel visioned on meeting some industry standard or some trying to collect a badge basically that they forget about the basic elements of a cybersecurity framework. Maggie, do you have any recommendations for a cybersecurity standard or framework for organizations uh, to adopt? Yeah. Um, so first off with the compliance, I also think it's really important to not 
steward a culture where your people are more afraid of the auditors than the actual uh, threat adversaries. Um, I think sometimes that that ends up being, you know, kind of an issue. Um, but as far as the framework, so, uh, you know, National Lab, DOE, we really like the C2M2 framework. So it's the cybersecurity maturity model. Uh, and I actually really love this because I think it does a good job of only giving companies, you know, not only a benchmark um, comprehensively, but within different stacks in their organization. And it lets them really see, you know, a very clear-eyed view of where they're at. And then it also gives them, you know, kind of tools built into it to go, okay, so this is where we're at for these, you know, six different things. And then these are the very explicit next steps that we need to take to move up a score over the next year, two years, five years in this particular area. And I think that's really important for a framework to do, not just give you, you know, this is the score, this is the next score, this is what the next next score looks like, good luck. Um, I really, really do love that the C2M2 framework does give organizations a very clear path on how to get from, you know, this is where I'm at, I scored a one, that's not great. Um, next year, I would like to score like a 2.5, and this is how I'm going to get there. Um, and I, I'm just a, a huge fan of uh, frameworks that kind of set themselves up in that way. Okay. Robert, do you have any different recommendations? Oh, I think, again? yeah, and I think he's involved in a call there. Um, hey, you, you on mute again, bro. <laughs> I was saying, I'm sorry, I'm answering like a lot of these questions, um, typing a lot, so. Yeah, no worries. So the, you know, the NIST framework is, you know, the, one of the ones that's, you know, quite easily adoptable by many organizations of various sizes, regardless of what industry or vertical market that they may be in, and has kind of become the industry darling, so to speak, for most organizations that are looking for a cybersecurity framework. There's others out there as well. You know, CIS and their top 20 security controls are really, really solid especially once they introduce seven and then 7.1 versions of it, where basically they're breaking it down into implementation groups so that you can take off, you know, one little chunk at a time. And for each one of their controls, they have one ask and one measure, right? So one thing that you have to do and one way to measure it for each one of the sub controls within that. Uh, so if you're just getting into cybersecurity or if you're working with an organization that is kind of immature in their maturity model, and I'm not saying that like, you know, they run around stomping their feet. So, I mean, they just don't have a really solid internal cybersecurity framework. The CIS top 20 might be the best route for an organization like that. As you start to get up in your maturity or organizational size, then you'd want to start looking at some of the more advanced cybersecurity frameworks like we've talked about with NERC and NIST. Um, okay, so last round, because we are right at the top of the hour. Maggie, is there any parting advice that you have for anybody that's out there blue teaming or wanting to become 
a blue team cybersecurity professional? Yeah, I mean, I would uh, I would tell them, A, don't let them tell you it's not sexy, because it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, B, just find, identify your mentors. Um, identify the people who are going to be, you know, A, the most passionate about, you know, teaching you because they love their yep. job, and B, have the tools to teach you to do that. Um, I really think that those two things are really going to help go a long way. I could not agree with you any more about the mentorship and trust me, folks, don't be afraid to ask because as a mentor to a couple of folks, I can tell you, I get so much more out of that experience. And I think they do it, it. We love being able to be part of helping the next generation come up. I know Marcus is like that and several of the other contributors in this book, you know, we all have that mindset i think in that heart that we want to we want to help so don't be afraid to ask for it robert parting advice i blue team is much sexier than people think um it's perfect a lot of people i'm seeing um a lot of people go from blue team and try get into red team and now I'm seeing a lot of people that kind of hopped over the foundational stuff got into uh, kind of more the offensive side of stuff they are now looking at blue team like ooh, you know what I mean um, yeah. and, and I just want to give a shout out to a security blue dot team for training I see a lot of people using them in their labs and uh, I'll, I'll drop a link in the chat but yes please do and we're seeing just some great comments in chat thank you folks for for those uh, kind words. And like Ailey says, you know, uh, she's been a former guest on the show as well. We talked about, you know, mental health and InfoSec. You know, she's saying, and I have to agree with it, be ready to put in the time and the work and the effort because, you know, we're always going to be a little bit behind. You know, we can't predict what the next zero day vulnerability is going to be, but we're expected to defend against it, right? So you're constantly having to learn and evolve to the pace of our adversaries. And it's a daunting task. But if you're the one who enjoys learning, enjoys, you know, trying to figure out uh, the puzzle, this is going to be an exciting field for you to be in. And I can tell you after two and a half decades of dealing with enterprise systems management and security, I love what I do. I don't work a single day in the, my life because I'm happy doing what I do. I, I enjoy it. So it's a pleasure to be in this field. Again, Tribe of Hackers, Blue Team Edition. Check it out on Amazon. Get your copy today. And... Speaking of which, I'm going to use a randomizer. Now, this is where I'm actually going to go ahead and stop the live recording. I want to thank all of our guests, co-hosts for joining us today. Elle for helping out as well. But Maggie, Robert, Marcus, Jenjen, you've been an extreme pleasure. If you're able to, Feel free to stick around. I'm going to open it up here in just a minute and do our real talk session. This is something that I've been doing after the Cyber Speaks Live episodes where we just chill out and have kind of a free form happy hour with, 
the uh the live attendees but like i said feel free if you got to jump for whatever purpose go ahead we're just gonna hang around here for a little while but before i do uh or before we do i want to get to the book giveaway so i'm gonna go ahead and stop recording now and we will pick it up in just a minute Thank you for joining us on this episode of Cyber Speaks Live. Remember to visit our blog at cyberspeaks.com to sign up for our newsletter of upcoming episodes and special guest co-hosts. If you'd like to be a guest co-host or sponsor the show, please email us at speakup at cyberspeaks.com. That's all for this week. And as always, stay safe and secure out there.